This week's episode of This Is Only a Test is brought to you by MailChimp. MailChimp is an easy-to-use marketing platform with a name that might make it sound like they only do email. But they do just about everything to help businesses grow, like ads, postcards, landing pages, audience management tools, automations reports, and more. You can say MailChimp grew so much they outgrew their name, and their marketing tools can help you do the same. Go to MailChimp.com and sign up for a free and see how MailChimp can help grow your business. MailChimp, they do more than mail. Hey, let's start the show. For Thursday, October 25th, 2018, welcome to This Is Only a Test, the official podcast of Tested.com. Tess. Hello, welcome everyone to another podcast this week. I'm Norm and joined by introductions right away, Jeremy Williams. Hello. And Kishore Hari. Norm, congratulations on your last ever podcast. I don't <laughs> think it's my last ever podcast. If you, if, uh, the fact that I'm here, you probably rec- will, will realize that Baby Watch 2018 is still happening. Still on. Still on. Jeremy, we should start a betting pool on this. Mm-hmm. Well, but betting pool over under how many times well, I get texted by Danica during this next hour and a half uh, to see whether or not – sometimes she'll, she'll text me, but but obviously not in labor. Yeah. Oh, I think you'll get three texts. Three texts. Okay. The over under, three. Mm-hmm. Jeremy, more, fewer? I'm going to go with four. Four. Oh. Four. You could just say over. 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 All right. Okay. Maybe more, maybe less. Watching I'm- the video. So – Still, still waiting, still waiting. If if any of you are out there waiting with me, we're all still waiting. It could happen literally any time. Would it be more exciting if it happened during the podcast? No. Yes. No. It Not would. at all. Yes, it would. It would be fantastic. That would be fantastic content, perhaps. Gunther, grab the camera. Trail Norm. Let's live stream this baby. That's uh, li- I don't think live stream is permitted. I don't <laughs> think the ho- internet at the um, at, at the hospital is not very good. But no. I do have the cars packed and. Uh, the car is packed, the bags are packed, and I could very well le- be leaving this podcast. No, but let's get on to, mm. uh, well, how are you guys doing? <laughs> doing all right. I feel downright relaxed compared to how you're doing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm stressed out because I broke my camera lens again. Lens filter. Lens filter. Again. How did you do it this time? It was in my bag, and the bag hit the ground hard, and... Unfortunately, the filter broke. This is his SLR lens. How expensive is that it's lens? It's about a $2,000 lens. And you have a, a UV filter on the edge that yeah. gets smashed. Thankfully, you had that on there, else it might I have been worse. Very thankfully, I had that on there. This is the third time this UV filter, brass filter, is broke. Are you going to have to like saw it off like you did the, Maybe. the time a couple it's times? It's sitting before? outside in the office. and we may take it over um, to the cave at some point and, and take it to a bandsaw, which, again, would make fun some fun content. But... Uh, more importantly for me, I need this camera lens at the ready for for impending f- photography requirements. That's right. At the hospital. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. I don't know. It's not like, I know people take pictures in the delivery room. It's not It's not your best moment text on one, camera. Text mm. one just came in. Yes. I'm on track. 
on track. Text one came in. Not in labor. You know, you know, on, on iMessage, you can do the animations, <laughs> right? On, with the tech, uh, with your text messages, mm-hmm. it, it like f- does like a yeah. n- not the birthday thing, but like the, the bubbles. Are you go expecting everywhere. Danica to spend time making an elaborate text when she goes into labor? No, no, I get I get the elaborate text when it's not labor. Okay, it's so like all you know, caps, you know. not in labor <laughs> with the animation. Yeah, I think you're gonna get a text that says screen. "home." <laughs> yeah, come now. Yeah, all sorts <laughs> of we, we we talked about the uh, the the uh, the the emoji. Um, options for mm-hmm. this, but I, I think a phone call will probably be the most pressing thing. Anyway, let's get to our true first segment. Top story this week. So many things to choose from this week because a lot of kind of notable things happened this week, but we're going to go with Tetris. We're going to go gonna with th- the most fun, the thing we were most excited about. Probably, yeah. You know, with all the, the kind of downtrodden news and depressing things happening in the world today, this was a, a thing to celebrate. Yeah. And we, the United States has a new, it's the United, United States or the world, has a new Tetris champion. NES Tetris. I thought it was a world champion. Perhaps it the is. World, it's a world champion. World championship Tetris. It's something that, um, as a as a competitive sport, I had not followed. I definitely have seen the videos. I've, I'm sure you've really? seen the videos on YouTube of people playing Tetris at a very high level. Uh, sometimes it's the Tetris arcade machines, which are very popular. Mm-hmm. This is NES Tetris, yeah. which I suppose is a very pure form of Tetris. It's not the even though Game Boy is what many people would have been exposed to more, being the pack-in game. Yeah, not as colorful. Not as colorful, and perhaps not as uh, competitive. Because you can do the the straight up side by side, head to head, with the NES. Oh, so I didn't realize they were doing that. So well, actually, I, I don't. Because now I'm thinking about it, there was a photo of two two NESs. Because the game did not require that. Oh. Basically, like everybody plays the best game they possibly can, starting at the same level, and they just go for the highest score. There's not a time limit. The the only thing that you're racing against is your own mental ability. Hmm. and whether or not you can keep up with the pace of these bricks. Because I they, love that. they start on a very advanced level. They start already at what, level, what, 15 or something? It's up there. It's, it's up there. Like They're a, very fast-falling bricks. It's a level where you or I would be out in seconds. So this is not, you're right, it's, it's not head-to-head in the sense that the things you do will affect your competitor. Right. The only awareness you may have is the score mm-hmm. of the competitor. And so everyone's getting... The s- not the same blocks either, or are they no. the same blocks? I don't think so. They're not no. the same order of blocks. Not yeah. the same Random. order of blocks. They're that is interesting. Yeah, so that there is an element of luck. It would be interesting to see if they got the same order. How would they? Right, ha- right. Them because the faster you you drop them down, and we could be wrong about this. I got to rewatch the video. Uh, but basically, a seven-time Tetris champion, um, Jonas, mm-hmm. was beaten by a sixteen-year-old amateur. Wow. Clearly well, not an amateur. Not an amateur, a pro <laughs> now, but a, 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 a relative newbie yeah. in the Tetris scene. Apparently he watched these videos. That's what turned him onto the scene. He ah, saw these YouTube okay. videos, and he said, I want to be a part of that. And so he, he entered. He just wanted to qualify. Mm, mm. That's all he went into the tournament hoping to do. And you're playing for score. So you're playing for score until kind of you hit the, uh, you die essentially. And <clears throat> in terms of the strategies, you talk about keeping your, your board clean and also yeah. trying to get Tetrises. Trying to get the most Tetrises. Because okay, mo- Tetrises are so much fat, higher, more score. Fat points. 
fat points, totally. The the most interesting thing also was the commentary. I love the commentary. I how was tuned in the commentary. I was were. really surprised by how good they were. Not only because Tetris is a game that we get right. It's not like watching StarCraft or even Counter Strike in terms of esports or you know today what is that Fortnite or Overwatch or yeah. whatever. Uh, I guess it's Fortnite. Is Fortnite done competitively? Overwatch, Overwatch, yeah. League of Legends, League. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, but even though you get Tetris, the way they talk, they, the way they analyze at high speed what the mindset of the players are, where they are, what level they are, what they may be thinking about in terms of clearing the board, building the way, paving the way for Tetrises, the things they may need to, to build up and stack up to get that point lead back or to catch up, it was riveting. It also, like, the players were showing a lot of expression on their face while things were going. So you saw them, like, shake their head, like, yeah. oh, I made a mistake. Yep. I think one of the reasons this video was spread so widely wasn't just because this relative newcomer beaten the longtime established champion of Tetris. Was, it was the way in which he did it. There's actually another video ahead of that where he got into the finals by beating another veteran of Tetris, which is just as exciting. But the finals match, I think he had to win, what was it, best out of three or win multiple matches. The way he won that final match, he was down by many, many points. Hmm. And... The the uh, the previous champion. Oh, you're talking about the final. The match. final match because his his opponent di- had, had died. Died exactly. Uh, you know, like a minute or so before the new kid did. Right, because but he his, reached that high level. His score was so much higher. Exactly. So at that point, it was just a waiting game. Yeah. And the waiting game made it even more stressful because Joseph, the newcomer, had to catch up in points while waiting for the bars, waiting for the for the long piece. To he, get the Tetrises. He actually went three more levels than the person he beat because he was so far behind in points. Right, right. So uh, I also learned about some new terminology to add to our gamer lexicon. The, the new kid, he uses what's called a hyper-tapping. That's the hyper-tapping method of play versus the DAS method. Right? So all the old school gamers, they, they see the next piece that's coming because you get that little cue in the corner of your screen that said, this is the next piece that's going to be coming up once you drop the current block. And they base what they're doing based on that. So they'll hold the button down before it's on the screen. And then it comes down and they, they, it shifts over fast because they've been holding the button down. And at those high levels, you, have, you, you, can't, you can otherwise move the pieces fast enough. You get stuck. They would fall more toward the center which isn't where you'd want them. Right. Yeah, but the new kid, he does hyper-tapping, which is a fast mash of the button. Oh, just like tap, 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 yeah. tap, tap, tap? Yes, which is... Because you don't hold it down, you just tap. It's a more extraneous oh method my. of play, Norm. <laughs> this is, well, did they have cameras on the player's hands? I didn't see them. Oh, my God. But there were, he wasn't the only hyper-tapper there. There were others there, too. It's, it's just like wow. this battle of methods. Yeah. This is... The, it, they talked about a drought. Where you, exactly, you didn't get the piece. Trout. You're you waiting the piece you for wanted. that long bar. You had the right. spot open, and you got to not only keep alive, but you're also you're you're four you know four rows higher than you want to be because you're expecting and you uh, that to be uh, filled up and tetris out. I can't explain how fast these pieces are moving. Like in this, even in the levels they're starting at, the pieces are at the top of the screen and at the bottom within a second. Yeah, they're fast. There's a famous uh, video of a Tetris player playing an arcade version of Tetris, in which uh, the pieces are invisible at a certain level. When you get to a certain high level, they fall very quickly, but the pieces, as they f- you see it on the... Uh, what it's co- what's coming? You see what's coming. That's so interesting. You, you know in your head, strategically, 
but you never see the pieces actually So you have to count, count your taps. You count your taps or you know how long to hold. Crazy. And there's a player who played. It's almost like he's like a savant playing, and the, the pe- invisible pieces are, are creating lines and tetrises, and it's, it's a wonderful video <coughs> to watch. Joseph was in tears when he won. And As he should be. Yeah, that was incredible. He wept, and he, the, the uh, former champion was a great sport. Yep. Um, there's a great photo of them next to each other connecting their their trophies, which I believe is a, a T block. Oh, that's in interesting. Tetris. That's cool. Yeah. John Every Gre- Tetris piece only has four pieces, four blocks. For those that want more information, John Green did a, a great video yesterday uh, that explored the question of why we're actually getting better at Tetris over the years. So it's a it's a good watch if you're you're interested in a deeper dive. Well, what's the cliff notes? Why are we? <laughs> It's essentially that like people are practicing more. Like we're giving people more more time, more opportunity in to life? learn. Like yeah. p- packing the trunk of the car. Mm-hmm. Really? Wow. But even like when you take it for this sixteen-year-old, he had the benefits of watching all of these videos of other players. Yeah. Right. And their techniques. And it's sort of like you know we think about it like you can only get to a certain level with like a, a musical instrument, but they've been around like a hundred, two hundred years. But Tetris has been around, what, 30? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we haven't reached this sort of pinnacle of, of distribution of this game where people have sort of mastered it. Hmm. Yeah, I'm no good at Tetris. Oh, terrible. Yeah. yeah. It's still a lot of fun to play. It's very satisfying to play. Also very frustrating. Yeah. All right, let's go to our next segment. Oh, talk about an end of end of an era. Well oh, earned. Well earned. Netflix now only has one, two. No, we're not talking about, <laughs> talking about Pixar. Pixar first before Netflix. Uh, big news on the Pixar front. Pixar's co-founder, Ed Catmull, is going to retire. The triumvirate that started Pixar, John Lasseter, Steve Jobs, and now Ed, are all departed from the organization now. Or will be. Yeah. yeah. He, he will be basically at the end of this year. Ed is, I think Ed is probably the least known of those names. He wasn't a very public figure mm-hmm. compared to the other two, obviously. Except in engineering circles where he was a god. He invented alpha blending. That's how we get transparency on computer graphics. He, uh, he invented a lot of things that have become like the cornerstone of modern graphics engineering, both real-time and in animation. Uh, well, what a well-deserved like tenure and and retirement, right? He's seventy-three years old. He's oversaw he, as a president of Pixar um, and Walt Disney uh, Animation Studios. Uh, you know the, the the rise of this company and also the reemergence of Walt Disney Animation Studios as a animation powerhouse. You know, Disney has two arms that make really great films, highly anticipated films now, and it seems like the right time. I think I'm sure. Pixar has a, a leadership and, and also an internal um, like education system, just like Apple has, you know, mm. the, the, the uh, fosters the same type of culture um, in its leaders as the past leaders uh, to carry on. Uh, and, and so, you know, it'll be, it'll be an end of an era, but I think, I don't think it, it, it doesn't bode poorly for Pixar. I think no, they're still on track all. to make their, yeah. their next film as they were off always. But he, he wrote a biography, an autobiography, years ago called Creativity Incorporated. Did you, right. guys, did you guys read that at all? This is when he first mm-hmm. talked about the brain trust. 
Okay. Yeah, and he talked. They talked about how the distinction between the creative departments and the technical departments, how they one inspired the other and challenged mm. the other. Um, and that's a, that's a good read. Yeah. You know, I think we often forget Ed came from Lucas over to found Pixar. So George Lucas hired him soon after he completed his his doctorate to actually start bringing technology to Lucas uh, Lucas's projects in like '79. Wow. Yeah, well, Pixar was a Lucas division. They used to make computers, and then they realized that the software was was where it was at, and then they realized production was where it was at. Well, good on Ed. We wish him the best in his retirement. Uh, another the end of the era, well, short era, uh, Netflix. We I think last we talked about the cancellation of Iron Fist, the rather sudden cancellation, because Iron Fist season two had just come out and had been better received than the first season and ended on an interesting note. Uh, well, Netflix has now also canceled Luke Cage. Certainly, they have some heroes for hire now. Ha <laughs> ha! I've uh, been waiting on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So I understand the Iron Fist one. Like, even though I did not watch season two, which a number of listeners said is much better than season one, a lot of reviewers said that. Uh, season one was rough. Luke Cage's season one was quite good. I couldn't make it through season two. I think that's that was the problem. They looked at their numbers. Netflix is such a data-driven company that they saw the viewerships and, and how much these shows cost. And it, it doesn't mean that, you know, Daredevil season three just dropped and has been relatively well-reviewed, and they'll continue that on. But the whole idea of doing these this TV cinematic universe that's somewhat tenuously connected to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they with minor illusions but never would never be fully connected, uh, without being able to leverage that full connection, it's very expensive to build four shows just to build up to one thing, which kind of fell a little flat with Defenders. Um, and there's, if they're not going to do that same thing again, might as well just try to tell good stories independently. It's, it's a bummer. Luke Cage is a really cool character, uh, great character in the comics, really good character in the show. And I hope that character doesn't disappear from um, Netflix forever. And yeah, I find it a bad sign that me, it, like consumer of all things superhero, couldn't make it through these seasons. Yeah. It's it's just a lot of stuff to watch right now. It's I mean, even on Netflix. Remember I'm talking about, you know, on AMC and, and and Hulu and Amazon, which there were other plenty of really good shows, but even just on Netflix, even superhero shows on Netflix, there's just a lot to keep up on. Even with Daredevil dropping, everyone is talking about um House of Haunting Hill right now. Yeah. Timing wise, yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, I didn't realize that until there was this Twitter buzz last night. Are they releasing those episodes not all together or something? No, no, no. I think they're all dropped. They are. Just people yeah. just watch them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, Daredevil season three. If you have thoughts on it, let me know. But uh, I, I, we're making our way through the season right now. We're actually saving it until the baby comes. To, to really yeah, show it to the baby. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Um, talking about a return to television as opposed to departure from television. New reports are that Steve Carell is coming back to television. He well, television, back. in a way, with a new series on Apple's still yet unannounced uh, original series. <laughs> Isn't this weird? This is, there have been so many signed deals from, um, from Always Sunny folks to, uh, to n- now this. Uh, Apple, of course, has publicly talked about investing a billion dollars into original content uh, on a service that, again, will at some point be announced. But Steve Carell is going to uh, team up with Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon on a drama. Not a comedy, although 
he's kind of leaning more toward dramas these, these days. His yeah. movies have been much more in that category, and he's demonstrated quite an ability to to act in those. I liked Foxcatcher, even some of the ones that are more dramedy. I think he's been excellent in. So what was that the one the way way back? Uh, oh yeah, um, and there Where? there was also the one of uh, the uh, apocalypse kind of one with. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking for a friend, uh, in searching the world. for love yeah. at the end yeah, of the world. Like yeah, with Keira Knightley. Yeah, uh, and then of course the upcoming Zemeckis film, uh, Marwan Call, uh, which definitely reads as dramatic. Uh, this drama, this TV show, uh, is going to be based on a book series about uh, the world of morning TV anchors, like your Today Show style anchors. So playing a Matt Lauer type, perhaps. Oh. Come on! I mean, we've seen him in Anchorman. We know he has the capability <laughs> for this. I don't. I think it's going to be his Anchorman character, uh, but I think they're definitely going toward more of that HBO style limited series with high-profile actors in dramas. Speaking of Apple's uh, plans for a TV service, still as yet unannounced, but the information has uh, inf- well, information about potentially uh, the, the relative timing that it could be uh, early next year. And mm-hmm. uh, they may offer free episodes for people with Apple devices. So if you have you know, an Apple TV, for example, or even probably an, an iPhone or iPad, you'll get some select stuff without having to subscribe. Wait a minute. Uh, How are you supposed to watch it without an Apple device? That's a really good question. <laughs> I mean, isn't that everybody yeah. who could possibly yeah, subscribe to their true. service? It's true. Okay. It's true. Um, but what, what do you think their plan is here? Like, they want get to that, get that extra $10 a month. They think, do you think Apple... If they are investing this much money, and they, let's say they come up with 10 really great shows next year, mm-hmm. they launch with 10 shows that will run throughout the year, is that enough to get you to put down 5 to $10 a month on something? No. No, I don't think so either. I think that if you look at the offerings on, you know, on Netflix, unless it ties into iTunes movies and iTunes TV and it gets you either discounts or you know, a free movie every week, to watch via iTunes. Yeah, I think a rental. There's something. two ways. It has to be integration like you're saying or it has to just be some killer show that I I need to watch. And if you look at it, Star Trek Discovery is much more like in that vein of a show that I need to watch given my interests and I still didn't go for it on CBS All Access. So and this is all, I think it's a big hill to climb. It sounds like it's all original programming and which means it won't have the attached fan base and the connection that people have on something like a Star Trek Discovery or even like the Mandalorian on, on Disney's. You know, that's, you're talking about the killer app. What is the killer show for these services? Uh, Amazon's kind of struggled with that. That's why they do, <laughs> they bought uh, Top Gear essentially with Grand Tour because you, you buy an existing audience already. I'd be more interested in an Apple service that was a bundle, more sort of like Prime, where it also included maybe you know, superior support for my Apple products. Got, Ooh, got no, me, that's dangerous. That's a slippery slope. Got me a subscription it's... to Apple Music Streaming, you know. The music streaming stuff makes a lot of sense. Also, storage, extra backup, yeah. cloud storage. Exactly. These are kind of essential things that people are maybe on the fence of, but, like, they can immediately make benefit of, even if they're not watching the content. And it is, that's exactly right. The, the prime strategy um, seems to be a, a smarter way to go. It's purely a la carte within their ecosystem. Uh, it's going to be omitted. And then you're already looking at how much you're paying for other streaming services and things like cloud storage. Right. And the fact that you are subscribed to other streaming services means you have so much other content is competing with. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, on speaking of Netflix, big announcements. Of course, Netflix is spending billions and billions on television shows. Uh, Guillermo del Toro, who they have a great relationship with uh, from Troll Hunters with their DreamWorks connection, has now signed on to direct a film, a stop-motion Pinocchio film for Netflix. Something that he's wanted to do for a long time, apparently. That's interesting. Stop-motion musical version of Pinocchio. So it's like like adding layers on top of it. So uh, I think it's the stop-motion part that has me so interested right now. Right. Um, Because we've seen some brilliant stop-motion work in the past couple years. Uh, And so that gives me a lot of, of hope that we can get something equally as interesting. I'd be really curious if he's going to do this in-house or or if he's going to partner with a group like Leica mm-hmm. um, to do the stop motion just to get a sense of like what stylistically what this is going to look like. I'm all over this. So it, it's hard to think of a title that lends itself to stop motion as much as a puppet movie. Yeah, that's marionette. Really cool. Totally. And this and Pinocchio, of course, even though most uh, best known for the 1940s Disney film is based on an 1880s story. So this will presumably be based on the original story. Maybe probably a little darker. I don't expect a a Jimmy Cricket. The original story is a little bit dark. Yeah. The the original movie gets kind of dark in like the third act. Totally true. Totally true. Yeah, but it it won't be the Disney-fied version. Yeah, Wired's put out a story of this today saying that this is probably uh, Netflix's... um, a prestige product for awards that they relate they want to maintain a great relationship with Guillermo as well as potentially positioning themselves um, for Oscars. Can I ask a question about this? I I don't understand Hollywood and awards, especially in the context of Netflix. Like I understand there's like when you, if your movie wins like an Academy Award for Best Picture, you get a bump in how many people see it, but they seem to be spending so much more money Netflix doesn't get that kind of bump from an Emmy win, does it? I, I think they... Like well, pe- people don't subscribe to the service. Ooh, a Netflix show won an Emmy. I'm going to subscribe to Netflix. They care more about the just the social buzz, right? Like people people talking about something online compels other people, uh, just like what you talked about, the house on Haunting Hill, uh, right? Like the... to compels other people to discover things on Netflix because there's so much there. Uh Maybe it's for creative collaborations, like winning the awards then reinforces them as a place for the, the, the scarce resource really is the creative talent, right? And then the showrunners and the You think the legitimacy the, like opens up doors? Uh, okay. For people to want to sign with them as opposed to sign with a company like Apple. Who knows? I feel like they've broken down those barriers at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, final bits of news in, in pop culture. Uh, we have a few movies who have their release dates pushed back. Uh, some of them surprisingly, some of them unsurprisingly, for Guardians of the Galaxy. Now they're going to reportedly begin production in 2021. Do they have a director yet? No director. Yeah. They're, all the rumors are that they're still going to use the James Gunn script, and we'll see what happens there. If you bring in a new director, you got to imagine that script's going to change a bunch yeah. because who wants to just like – they're not going to get a director that's going to come in and just do what's written on the that's page. A that's long a long time. time. That must re- like Kevin Feige must be mad. It's a long time from now, and also changes how that story, whatever yeah. story that be, fits into whatever the next phase is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And assuming that the MCU is going to follow the same type of storytelling, where there's going to be little bits that add up to bigger stories, this is a big wrench. This kind of takes them off the playfield for 
two years of movies. On that subject, are you expecting another Infinity War-style crescendo of movies after the next phase? Or it's a good discussion. Phases? Like, who's the next big baddie? Because, like, it, it, the crescendo... Like the thing that tied all the Avenger, all the Marvel films so far, is the Infinity Stones. Right? The stones were a discrete thing that were split up between the the movies, then built up to Thanos. So uh, speculations is that Galactus is something they could, yeah. could lean into as a as a big universal threat, um, sole survivor of a dying universe, devourer of worlds, and maybe the heralds of Galactus are the the independent threats throughout the movies. I mean, we have to wait for the merger to happen for that because Galactus is owned by the Fox. That is true. That is true. Uh, I was thinking um, Secret Wars would be much more of an interesting way to go, but it's really hard to tell that story. I don't think you can tell Beyond. Well, I mean, if you take the heart of that story, which is basically somehow all all of our heroes get transported to a planet alongside their villain counterparts, and they have to sort of fight for resources, and they break up into tribes. It's sort of like a... A right. war war world of, of sorts, battle but, royale. Yeah, but that's that's lesson. That's something not really something you can build up to. And, and look, that, I get there's problems. Yeah, there's. I think there are a lot of problems with that. That's that's leading way toward the, the fan fiction. Like the emotional resonance, I don't think is going to be there. The, if it happens, are we talking about another ten, fifteen year wait? Oh, for for crescendo, I don't yeah. think so. Okay, I think we're talking about every four or five years. Yeah, mm. that it, seems a big event. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you you can't really get bigger than Thanos, like they they, you know, oh <laughs> now I'm thinking, God, what if what if Thanos is defeated and he's recruited back in, Thanos coming back as an Avenger? No, not an Avenger, what? but like an antihero, which <laughs> is like kind of how he was in the comics, that's how it right? Works. Gotcha. Yeah, they have to they reluctantly recruit Thanos to come back to fight fight another being. Does he get to keep his soul stones? I mean, all his uh, no, infinity no, stones? No, no, no. Oh. It's just his, his tactical brilliance. It's just, <laughs> just his mind. I will I will tell you all sorts of stuff after this podcast. Okay. I'll give you a reading list. <laughs> uh, and I'll give one last shout out uh, to uh, the movie uh, First Man, which we've talked about last week. Um, but still in theater, still worth watching. I still have yet to see this in IMAX, and I really want to see it in IMAX. I thought um, you told me to see it in IMAX. Well, because of this behind-the-scenes documentary huh. or behind-the-scenes featurette that it's on YouTube uh, about how Damien Giselle shot most of this film on film. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of the Earth stuff is shot in 16 mil, and uh, it opens up into IMAX you know, uh, for, for big climactic scenes well, when they get to the moon. Spoiler alert. So, okay. Yeah. Um, I think that does it for, for pop culture news. <laughs> Oh, uh, in San Francisco, we have some big tech news. Maybe someplace we'll be going right after this podcast. Oh. I will. I will pitch that. I'll, I'll just put it out there right now. Oh, I'm up for it. Amazon has opened Amazon its first California-based Amazon Go store. I've totally been the Go. You, already, you've guys. been. You, Jeremy's done this. Totally done this. When did you do this? I'm so over this. Yeah, we talked about you went, <laughs> went to Seattle. You went. Oh, you went to the one in Seattle. Yeah, I thought you went to the one here. No. So this is Amazon's cashierless. Money exchange list store. You walk in, scan an app. The only the, the only employees there are support people. Like this, right. this is how you get in. If you download the app, you open it, you scan your QR code, 
and then, and, and then pick, pe- up, pick up things. Oh, and they're there to say people, like when people get to the exit, they're like, what should I do? You just know? go, just go. And just then, so they're there to say, yes, just leave, just, just go. Leave. Hold your things. <laughs> the, uh, the interesting things are, obviously it was crowded, and we saw some tweets uh, and to that fact. I think the only breakdowns that I saw is people felt like it was laggy for when they get the receipt. And why would you want the receipt though? Oh, you, to you check when to you get over when you get the email receipt, and because I, I'm used to when I place an order on Amazon, before I even get over to the other tab, the yeah. email receipt right. is there, right? Yeah, or Square, you know, when when you, when you I went twice. The first time there was a good five ten minute wait. The second time it was while I was on the same block. So it, it five varies. ten minute wait for the receipt to come. Yes, but the receipt's only essential to you if you need to confirm that they charged you exactly. for the right thing. Exactly. So from their perspective, is it worse to have a false positive or false negative? Is it worse for them in their system, in their computer vision system, to miss something that you picked up and charged or charge you for something you didn't pick up? I think it's worse to get charged for something you didn't get. That's right. Because this is, uh, this A, this is a small store, so there's not many customers going through it. And so it's all about customer experience and getting them, like, situated through that uncanny valley walk. They'd rather lose the 70 cents on a can of Coke than they would have to pay for extra customer support for someone to get a refund. Because you also know press is looking for that story, too. Yeah, yeah. You know, most of the press about this this store is about the... Uh, cashierless ex- experience where you don't get charged when you walk out and it's automatic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But what this is, is Amazon taking shoplifting into the back of the store and shooting it in the head. I mean, we are, this is the end of shoplifting as we know it. If you're going to steal something now in the future, it must be before or after it's in the store itself. Because <laughs> you will now Shrinkage be seen. Shrinkage is, is no longer a thing. Yeah, the cameras. Like, did you feel like it was weird to be watched that way? With well, the like hundreds I, of cameras. And if you look up, you can see there are photos on Twitter of these just, they look like basically like uh, overhead projectors. It's, it's a nonstop array and of sensors. everywhere. There is not a square inch that you can hide in this store. You cannot crouch in a corner and not be seen. Right. And if you, so you, you said, well, we should try going all wearing the same hat and or the same clothes. clothes or something, yeah. Even if you had identical twins doing that, the computer wouldn't bat an eye. Because if you cross paths, it never loses track of you. It from doesn't. Every angle. It doesn't blink. It doesn't confuse you with someone else because it never stops watching you, and How, you, you can't mm-hmm. occupy the same space as another person. We yeah. got to go in there and do like a three card Bonnie move, where we're like <laughs> shuffling around. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna break some giant cups, like human sized red cups, and we'll hide in them and then pop out of them. Yeah. No. Uh, this is obviously a technology that has far-reaching applications beyond the grocery store. The grocery store is the, the, the convenience of walking in and out. But shopping malls seem like, you know, if, if you take shopping to the next level, the, tracking you throughout the scope of a shopping mall is the next thing. And then, of course, airports, it's amusement parks, any public location. And well, any public location the they, can, they can own. They can put a bunch of sensors over right. your head. They can, they can own the experience for I, I would say, you know, Bezos has faced a lot of critis- criticisms about employee pay recently. Mm-hmm. And even though he raised it, it to $15 minimum wage, I think there's going to be a lot of conversation about what this means in that context, too. So we, I think it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out in a city like this, where that conversation is really loud. What do you mean? The automation factor? Yeah. How it's eliminating jobs. I mean, it it doesn't on its surface right now because there's still people there, but eventually those people go away. You can't fight that. 
Oh, I know. I'm I'm not uh, coming down either side of this. There's there's sort of like an inevitable flow to it. But I think this store, given the criticism that already exists mm. around Jeff and employee pay, is going to mean that conversation is going to exist a lot more. Yeah. Uh, on to the product side. Tomorrow, as you're listening to this, Friday is the release date of the iPhone tenor. 10R, mm-hmm. and reviews are out for this this interesting phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a quick refresher, Apple announced and released the 10S and the 10X Max uh, earlier this year, last month, and this is the follow-up as the, I'm not going to say the, the budget or the entry level, but the- Least non, expensive the, new phone. The, the, the non-premium new phone, the, the phone that would otherwise have been- the uh, last year's phone priced down because there is no more iPhone 10 yeah. available. So reviews are out, and interestingly enough, maybe unsurprisingly, it's being very, very well reviewed. Um, for the $750 price, which is $100 higher than what an iPhone cost, the high-end iPhone cost two years ago. Even the Plus? Not the Plus. Okay. The, the regular iPhone yeah. cost two years ago. Uh, you get something that has... A interestingly six over six inch screen as opposed to the five point eight six point one inch screen LCE LCD screen uh, with their fast A twelve processor on the inside plus the single camera on the back. Now, That's the point. You get the same processor as, same, their, as their flagship phone, which by all reports and all Geekbench numbers is incredibly fast, uh, and, and all the subprocessors for the computer vision. Um, so experientially. The two primary different things is, one, the display, and two, the camera. Mm-hmm. The camera is the same really nice camera, bigger sensor, you know, a wide-angle camera that's on the back of the 10s. Uh, but they've enabled portrait mode. But hold on, on there. It's just one sensor. It's one sensor. The, the 10s and the 10 have two sensors. Yes. So with, they don't tell you exactly how they're doing this, but the portrait mode only works on human faces on the 10R. So you, it's, it's you, based on you facial recognition. Of, you, I don't know how, but you have a way of making the 10 do uh, portrait mode on non-people. And I can't do you it. You can't do it? No. I t- I'm always trying. Like, I'm trying to the, get a good the 10, photo. The 10S can work on tech, theoretically on animals, can work on objects. Yeah. Uh, you have to get the right distance. You know, it takes a little bit of finicky because okay. it's, it's trying to it – is use, it's using its computer vision Easier to do with that. people because it, it, it does It does. Picture. Absolutely. Exactly. Okay. So using that facial recognition – and using what its you know neural nets know about the shape of faces and what hair looks like, uh, that's how the 10R can do a wide-angle portrait view on people. But interestingly enough, that wide-angle portrait view is mm-hmm. not enabled on the 10S. Despite having that Despite sensor. having the same sensor. It forces sensor. you into the telephoto. Exactly. Because it, I don't think they want to confuse you with the fact that hmm. it, it can do only people with a wide-angle and other objects like animals, which a lot of people do with the telephoto. Uh, the other big difference, of course, is the screen, LCD screen. Now, uh, people will complain that this screen, however nice of an LCD it is, is essentially the same pixel density as iPhone 4, 326 PPI. Okay. Um, and so if you're happy with the, if you've used an iPhone 4, 5, or 6, and you've been happy with that pixel density, which is, I believe, a 2x uh, point to pixel ratio, uh, then this, you should have no problem with, with this one. So why will the, people complain? Because if you've come from the 10 or the 10, oh. uh, the 10 S, that's a three X point to pixel ratio. And so I don't see that. Much that there's not many people coming from the 10. 
to the 10R. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so either. Isn't that a technically a drop in price? If you, it, yes. Yeah, right? So but that, with a newer a, processor with the, and a better wide-angle lens. It's true. Right? And, and col- faster, faster ID. Colors. And, and colors. And colors, right? If you want that, if you want that uh, Apple Red phone, this is the only way to do it on, on this form factor. Uh, really, though, it's also smaller. Like that, that actually might matter to some. It's people. not smaller. It, isn't it smaller it's than the ten? Bigger than the ten? No, it's bigger than the ten and ten S. Really? Yes. Oh, it wow. fits between. It's actually better described as a smaller ten X Max than a bigger ten S. So confusing. Yeah, and because of the way they do the point to pixel re- resolution, apparently there's a setting as you set up the ten R, so you can render your home screen with a, the equivalent to. The Max phone, the Plus phone, or the equivalent to the normal, the regular size phone, because those phones render their their point to pixels slightly differently. Uh, so that's actually a setting in the 10R, which I think is just extra bits of confusing. But all of this is to hide the fact that Apple is doing one of its great pricing tricks with this phone, and that's with storage. And this is the reason that if you're going to buy a, a new iPhone this year and want to spend you know, uh, over $700 on a phone, the 10R is really attractive because it's the only model that you can buy a 128-gigabyte SKU. That Get is this. lame. The 10R and the 10S mm-hmm. both start at 64 gigabytes. Yeah. For you to get... The next bump up, because 64 gigs I don't think is enough for anyone using a phone day-to-day these days, especially shooting any 4K video or apps or whatever, or games. Uh, if you want to go up on the 10s, it's $150 more for 256 which admittedly is a huge jump, and 256 is more than anyone needs right now, let alone 512 But to go up from 10R on 64 to 128 50 bucks. Oh, that's a no-brainer. No-brainer is to pay, the extra, to pay $800 for that 128 gig SKU on the 10R rather than $1,150 on a 10S for the 256 SKU. Okay. So that's hopefully, if you're making a purchasing decision on this phone this week, uh, that can help you, that can help inform your decision. But it really sucks that Apple doesn't offer a 128 gig SKU for their high-end phones. They force you to pay $150 more to go from 64 to 256 because I don't think 64 is, is usable. Yeah. We used to, I know we used to complain that Apple launched their phones with 16 gigs, and that was a valid complaint as well back then. But 64, I think, in these days on, on phones is... is uh, There's an argument to be made that the more that we move to streaming services, the less media we actually store on our phone. And it just comes down to how many photos do you want to keep on your phone, because those are also synced to iCloud. Yeah, but those photos and videos synced to iCloud, you're paying for the iCloud storage. Mm-hmm. So you're paying monthly. So mm-hmm. you're amortizing either the $2, $3 a month monthly on iCloud storage or having it all local. And if you're using, you know what? If you're on an airplane and you don't have Wi-Fi, you're looking at old, old photos That's all based and playing games and you're doing stuff locally. And people who have iPhones now probably had iPhones back then and you want to have all your phone, uh, photos from, you know, from your first iPhone. Every year you're just using more storage because you're moving more data over and over and over and over. I come back to the, I think, the tweet you put out yesterday. It's so weird that this phone is now the budget phone. Yeah, And I know Apple doesn't position it. They don't say it's the budget That's phone. That's what it is. That's though. what people are calling it. And, and yeah, you can buy the, uh, the 7. Um, that's technically the budget phone because that is price reduced. Uh, but a lot of people will be 
the, the average price, which what, that's what they care about. That's what the investors care about. The average selling price, the ASP of the iPhone, has just gone up and up over time. And this is how Apple's maintaining all that market share and maintaining all that market cap, even. Speaking of uh, more Apple news, uh, they sent out invites to their next event, October 30th, next Tuesday. The iPad event. Uh, well, they didn't explicitly say. Yeah, but everybody knows. Everyone expects it to be the iPad event. Uh, they did an interesting thing with the invites this time. They had every Apple logo in the invite was a different artistic style. They had dozens of different Apple logos what all do you done mean? with different artists. So, Oh, but everyone got the same invite. Everyone got an invite, gotcha. but like the logo was different on everyone's invite. For Apple. Oh, that, that's what yeah. I mean. Like they were all they, they were, were all different. different. What kind yeah. did we get? We, we didn't get one. We didn't get one. <laughs> well, I buried the lead. We didn't get one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I guess the uh, the anticipation is that you know this is going to be very artist driven, very creator driven, and iPad definitely lends itself to that. Uh, the rumors are uh, iPad, new iPad Pros, not surprising. Edge edge screen, maybe Face ID, even a new Apple Pencil is what people are also saying. A redesigned Apple Pencil, which I think if they do that, they better find a way to have it charge without you plugging it like directly into the iPad. Uh, USB-C is the other big rumor uh, with these. And then most recently, a rumor that Apple may put out an iPad mini. And finally, a long-awaited update to the iPad mini as well. If I, you, I'm not holding my breath. If you go to an Apple store, iPad minis are all over the place. They love the iPad mini. Well, it's the display for... for uh, for browsing, exactly. it's an information display. People pick it up. It's light. It's like it's user friendly. Um, I it's my favorite iPad, so I have my fingers crossed about this one. So for Jeremy's sake, let's hope a new iPad Mini announced, and then also a new MacBook, something to replace the MacBook Air. What will they name this? Because it's not MacBook, right? There's MacBook Pro. There's MacBook, which is they're super thin and light, smaller than the Air. Oh, my God. So what is this now entry-level MacBook that's going to replace the Air? What is that called? Can't they just all be MacBooks? I don't know. This is the skewification of Apple that drives me crazy. It's weird, right? Like 10R, like Phil Schiller said R didn't stand for anything. It's just like a car model. You know, 10R, 10S, and 10T coming out. I just, like, I want two iPads, and I want maybe three MacBooks, and we're past that, aren't we? What are, what are three will MacBooks? It, will it be Wait, three MacBooks? It'll be Air at Pro. Maybe one uh, Pro at two sizes, and the MacBook. So, oh, I guess that's, yeah, okay. The multiple sizes makes yeah, it Yeah, Pro, weird. I mean, it used to be Air at two sizes. And, yeah. And I think that 11-inch MacBook was such a popular thin and light. And again, with their average selling price going up, they wanted the MacBook with its crappy butterfly keyboard uh, and low Core M processing uh, to be its replacement, even though more expensive. And that has admittedly gone better over time. But people still want that sub thousand dollar competitive MacBook. I don't think Apple cares about that because they want people at that point price point to buy iPads. But we'll see. We'll see next Tuesday. I may or may not be watching. You'll be see. watching. You'll find a way to watch I'll no matter find, what's find, happening. Find, find a way find a way to watch. Well, if you want to uh, find some other technology gadget to spend on money on, uh, here's something that may interest you. Simone, our friend Simone Yetch, launched a Kickstarter uh, this week for uh, her first product. This is really cool. It's a, her habit calendar, and uh, she developed it here at Tested um, as a project uh, to, uh, to get herself in the habit of checking off our, our daily checklist of things and it was just a ton meditating of meditating exactly yeah, but, yeah yeah and um did a ton of solderings and bought switches and her new one is uh is beautiful it's bamboo frame it has this really interesting 
um, PCB as the screen, essentially, and yeah. capacitive touch. She left. She found out that if you leave the solder mask off of the PCB, it, it remains transparent or translucent. So she puts an LED behind, and it mm-hmm. shines through the PCB, which yeah. is it's very clever. And then with this like kind of copper gold yeah. sort of frame, it, it looks really beautiful. Capacitive touch. So it has basically 365 lights, mm-hmm. touch-sensitive lights that you right. can um, toggle. And also our, uh, there's a USB port. So you can, if you wanted to program an animation in, it's all just Arduino, you can program an animation using those lights. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's cool. I remember her working on this in the workshop over here. And just like in the, the original one had switches instead of this capacitive touch. Yep. And like she was basically soldering in there for like a good solid couple weeks. Yeah. And like cranking out math on like current versus, you know, resistance as it goes through each of these, these switches. It was actually kind of a joy to watch her go through the experience of, of building this. And, and it's awesome what she came out the other side. And I can't understate how powerful her the personal story she attaches to why she built this and how much that seems to have resonated with, you know, a ton of people. So you can't overstate. I can't overstate it. Yeah. Um did I say understate? You did. I can't overstate <laughs> it then. And she blew away the the goal, so yeah, she did in like moments. Yes. We'll have a, a video uh, where she came, to, uh, she came to the office a couple weeks ago to show us the prototype, and we'll have a video about that prototype and her development process on the site uh, in a week, a week and a half or so. I asked her about the prototype uh, yesterday on Twitter, and she said it's sitting in the corner being mad that the pretty one is on the wall. <laughs> uh, it, it got included in the video. Yeah, it did. Uh, BuzzFeed had a really big story this week, which probably is, should be our biggest tech story this week. Uh, they uncovered... Uh, a scam. No. An app scam in which rogue apps were harvesting ad money, essentially. Uh, the way they're doing this is fascinating. On what devices? On Android devices. Okay. So several Android devices got access, uh, were purchased. and So they took legitimate apps and then bought them. And bought them, still published them, and users that would use them uh, as, as they would use any other app would input human actions on these. And those human actions were recorded and then used by bots to basically browse and look and, and, and get ads paid for. They basically bought users in this complicated scheme and used them to program bots to generate ad revenue. And like, so the apps they bought are kind of like low level apps, like stuff that you know, not many users were were um, attached to necessarily, so they could be purchased for a low price. What are you you're talking about? Like they purchased the rights to distribute the app? No, they bought the whole app, like just outright. And that's, so, that's what I mean. They didn't yeah. download it. They they no, they bought no, like the, they bought it from the, the company. They bought it from the company. Sorry, got it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so they, you know, in this BuzzFeed investigation, they talked to some of the people that had their app purchased and they talk about how shady it was. Like they would have these Skype calls and they got paid in Bitcoin and like, you know, like, (laughs) okay, just give us the money. Yeah. But I mean, it was always like twice as much as probably the app development was worth. Oh really? So there's always like a little like what's going on here. And it was funky in terms of, you know, where the addresses were associated to, um, to the account really sophisticated. How do they get caught? I'm not exactly sure, but the thing is, they, they were also tied to the web pages, right? The web pages, websites that were generating the ad revenue were then had 
had like fake virtual browsers and the bots would direct those user actions. And so it's a problem within the web ad infrastructure as a whole, that how, how, how ad revenue is tracked and generated because it's simulated and, and you, it's tough to sniff out what's the real actor and what's, a, and what's not a real actor. What's amazing is that you know I think Google has fraud detection built into these uh, into these ad systems to look for this bot traffic, but what they did is they blended this human action in with the bots to fool that fraud protection. So the Bud, uh, BuzzFeed story says that this was detected when an app called Megacast had uh, had dis- displaying unique ideas of other apps um, to bid for ads. So it was in the in the code for and the behavior of one oh. of these apps that was bought and then disseminated. So it was pretending to be like a different app and yeah. like and somebody got that got flagged. Oh, okay. Yeah. How long did they pull this off? It oh. looks like a, f- a couple years. Wow. And uh, are they busted or did they, did they just shut 20, down? The apps? 2015. So BuzzFeed estimated 75 million dollars accumulated of damage per year and ex- experts they talked about said that's probably about only 10% of what actually was stolen. That, you know, it could have been 500 to a, a million to a billion dollars of ad revenue uh, just went lost. You know, Amazon shouldn't be worried about convenience store shoplifting. Google should be worried about ad, ad, ad theft. I, I, I'm sure they actually are worried about this kind of stuff. Uh, this is a fascinating uh, long read, and uh, it, we'll, we'll share it around. Yeah. Uh, we'll, move on to, uh, we'll move on to cars and some car talk. Apple filed an interesting patent this week about... Well, they didn't file. They filed it two years ago. Ah, and okay. it, was, it was just uncovered. Yes, it was just uncovered. I don't... Okay. Tell us about this patent, Jeremy. <laughs> okay. Before so you, I pass judgment. Have you seen footage of an airplane refueling in midair, right? Yeah. Pull, pulling up to the tanker plane and inserting the the, the gas you know, hose into the uh, receptacle? Getting the gas? You've it's seen this, One of the know? scariest sure. things to have exactly. to, to do in, in, spa- in, in, in yeah. the sky. I would imagine it is. I, I hope the plane I'm on never has to do that. Well, Apple has released a patent for cars to do the same thing while on the highway. Electric cars to share power in the egalitarian world like of a, the electric like cars. Like a big truck comes on no. that's like a big power no, battery? Like, Your car like, will line up with... My car in the when you when we all own Apple cars, <laughs> we will. And you're lo- running low on battery, and we're driving to the same place. You pull up next to me, right behind me, while and, driving, and out comes your port at 65 miles per hour. You, and they will tether. You insert your port in, into my jack, so it isn't like style. this inductive kind of thing. No, no dude, like it's a, a physical connection. This is one of the worst ideas at I've 65 ever heard. miles an hour. Will it? And, and uh, watch this, and also dynamically adjust for aerodynamics. Oh, of course the, it does. The, the caravan, while physically tethered, not only will be more power efficient, but will also be more physically aerodynamically efficient. Is anywhere in the patent like the words like <laughs> "imagine the car as a sphere," just like in any physics course? <laughs> this is so ridiculous. Here's my question: Why don't they have this for phones? This is there's some funny language in this. First, of all, they, they refer to a peloton, which apparently is a line of, of bicycles usually, mm-hmm. but they, that's how they refer to this line of cars. 
This, this is literally, I checked the actual patent. This is the quote. A vehicle configured to be autonomously navigated in a peloton along the highway, wherein the peloton comprises at least the vehicle, at least one additional vehicle, is configured to determine a position of the vehicle in the peloton, which reduces differences in relative driving ranges among the vehicles included in the peloton. I've, I've already tuned out. That <laughs> so, makes no sense. <laughs> Okay, so like the whole tethering idea is ridiculous, but the idea of these of these group of cars moving in mass and sharing data to one another, all good. I think there's some interesting stuff that can happen there, right? Wirelessly, yes, so, of wirelessly. course. Yeah, yes, not with a tether. How about airplay <laughs> for cars or, or airdrop for cars, mm -hmm. but sharing like road conditions, sharing like you know all I, sorts of. I'm breaking. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. That's the crazy future of wireless car, of uh, electric cars, or at least intelligent cars. Once again, I ask, why can't we do this with phones where I can have a, a lightning to lightning connector and, and sift power off your phone to my phone? Because, you're, because it's inequity, Norm, because you're you constantly using your battery and I'm, <laughs> I'm saving up mine. Yeah, I, I don't know. What, what is Apple going to do with this car situation? And clearly, as, as Phil Schiller in his uh, 10, Apple 10, uh, iPhone XR interview, he loves cars, loves fast sports cars. A lot of people at Apple love cars. When are they going to make is the time? Has the time passed for them to make a car? Do you think? No, dude. What? No, We're not at all. I don't think the market has even been proved yet. It, we're getting closer. Where? Where? where they got to buy that factory now. They're waiting for Elon to make that that second tweet that is really going to cause a, a drop in price, and then buy. No, I'm kidding. I, I don't mean, think that's actually going to happen. This kind of thinking relies on an infrastructure change. So this is a massive. This, we're way off here. You need the. You're saying you need the 3G before you can sell the iPhone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> so I don't know. Chicken and egg. I don't know. It would be amazing to see an infrastructure change to the highway system, though. At Apple is not known for being first to market with an idea either. Yeah. They just come best in market. Well, that's just the brand power. Maybe its infrastructure stream is so vast that we're talking not about on the roads and pavement, but under the roads and tunnels. And again, another uh, venture that Elon is heavily invested in with the Hyperloop. And Hyperloop One, he tweeted, mm -hmm. will get its first test soon. What do you mean? It's been tested. You mean, what do you mean by oh, it? We'll go live? What is, it, what is this? He's, Elon, he announces the test tunnel opening date for the tunnel that the Boring Company. Which one? Uh, the first tunnel. The Boring Company's <laughs> Hyperloop <laughs> Test Tunnel. But they have, they're making a few of them on the East Coast and the West Coast. Well, which one is this? This is the one in uh, Hawthorne, Hawthorne, California. That's right. And December 10th is one that's coming up. He says free rides for the public the next day. Dude, now that's something we should go to. Maybe you have to make sure you bring your bring your Tesla and your flamethrower. I know someone with and, a Tesla. And uh, how do you get to the top of that list? Frank got a flamethrower. Yeah, refer refer ten people, and you might get to ride in the Hyperloop, seven hundred sixty miles. That'd be quite a thrill ride. What? No, 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 it. What? The top speed is seven hundred sixty miles per hour. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's okay. what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> the speed. I'm not talking about distance. <laughs> not yet. This, that would be more than the length of California. That would be uh, a third of the way across the United States. Uh, on the Tesla front, uh, here's something interesting. Tesla announced a new Model 3. Surprise. What does that mean? A, uh, new, a new um, battery a size? A new battery size. Now, previously, the Model 3 was announced with two, two ranges, mm -hmm. a 310 
mile range and a, I believe, a 220 uh, mile range. Uh, they don't still. They only sell the long range one right now. They still don't sell the entry level range one because that's the thirty five thousand dollar car that everyone hoped for. Yeah. And even between those two ranges, theoretically, you would be able to buy a single motor, a rear motor, and a. No, that wasn't text. Nope, not a text. That was just Apple telling me to stand up. Uh, a, a, a single um, single motor or a dual motor all wheel drive model, which was, I believe was like four or five thousand dollars more. Okay. For better acceleration um, and transitions between uh, highway and uh, city streets. Well, they make more money off the dual motor. They make more money off the big battery. They don't want to really. I don't think they really want to sell that entry level car. So in the meantime, they developed a new battery pack for a two hundred and sixty mile range. Now to get in on this, and this has come out of nowhere. Uh, what's, the, what's the range of the of the current one? Three ten. Three ten. Okay. So fifty miles less. And I'll, I'll say this: as from my experience, even though you have three ten, you really only have to. You're, you're thinking about it really as two eighty. You're really thinking of ten percent off the top because so you never charge it to the max. Uh, two fifty is two twenty then, basically, exactly. or two twenty five. Two twenty five. You're you're basically if you're buying a two sixty. You're basically talking about two thirty. 225 with some, you know, bad vampire drain overnight or something, uh, which is more than enough for a day trip. And I think definitely better peace of mind than being in the 100s. If you buy a 220 mile, you're talking about really 200, 190. Isn't that what your bolt is right now, Jeremy? Uh, 220, something like that? Yeah, yeah, 230. So this is this is to compete, I think, with that, that bolt, that, that kind of uh, new wave of, and I think, uh, you know, Porsche and, and, and Volkswagen, and, uh, Audi has, uh, they have all cars in that range. Um, we're coming out soon. You still have to buy the premium option, and this is the only way to get the single motor. If you get the 310, if you want the full, mm-hmm. you have to buy the two motor now. No way. Yeah. Interesting. So they raised the price of the, the long range, huh. and they introduced this as a, a mid-range. Weird. Uh, so anyone who got the long range and was able to save money and buy only getting a single motor, mm-hmm. congratulations. What if I want full autopilot? You can't buy full autopilot. They also quietly remove the text uh, and offer for full autopilot because you can buy it. It's off the menu. It's off menu. Yeah, it's off what? menu. It's off menu for a limited time, and then it's going to be. It's a secret menu, and then it's no longer even going to be off the menu. It's just like you know, you can't have it until they upgrade the the chips. They yeah, exactly. Redo the hardware uh, and and have the new um, the new processing board. And I think it makes sense because you know they've sold a hundred thousand of these cars and. Some portions, you know, a significant portion maybe of them already paid for the autopilot, and it's going to cost Tesla money to install new hardware. So why not? The, the, they, they did the math, and accounting-wise, maybe it makes more sense for them just to not not sell it as an option now. This screams to me, mm. let's maximize our margins and bank some money. Okay, yeah. I was right? surprised because it's like lowering the battery, which is like a principal cost here yeah and, and, and a lot of speculation was like was this battery new battery option is it software limited was it one of those things where you have a 260 mile but then you could buy and pay to unlock and, and unlock those cells it's not because the weight of the car is less it actually is a lighter car uh, so they developed a new battery size to put into their, their platform uh, and of course everyone's still waiting for the model y so you know Good on them for making, you know, reaching their milestones and making thousands of cars a week. Uh, the real test will be really beginning of next year when the tax rebate, the federal tax rebate, goes away, and people don't get seventy five hundred dollars off their car, and it costs more. And whether they can really start delivering and selling those, the entry level, uh, thirty five thousand dollar car. If you bought the Model Three like 
base model. Yeah. Which a lot of people still haven't gotten that car yet. Yep. How does this make you feel? This development? I think it's still like this feels like still a cut in line. Uh, this to you. totally feels like a cut in line because uh, you're 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 basically losing. You're, there's no chance you're going to get in on that full tax rebate. If you don't get a car delivered by December 31st, 2018, you cannot take off 7500 off your taxes. You, be, you get half of that next year, but that price difference at that point, pay for the, you know, pay for the, the, the more miles, get the bigger battery on the car. That's, and that's exactly what Tesla wants. I feel, I, I feel whoever's left in that line that's still waiting for whatever that yeah. $40,000 kind of base model, this has got to suck for you but at the same time it makes sense for the company as a whole there's no chance to get those incentives extended huh no and, and, and in fact uh, there are talks in congress of and lobbyists who are trying to get the incentives reverse charge an extra fee for electric vehicles because as their argument goes electric cars don't pay the tax on their power yeah as you do on gas for maintaining of roads mm-hmm. yeah i've heard uh, that yeah which is, uh, you know, you're also saving a lot on, on, on the carbon. You know, one incentive that people don't consider when it, uh, buying an electric car that's not from Tesla, because Tesla has the excellent supercharger network, is the infrastructure um, growing around, at least around California, over the next several years of, of free chargers. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're popping up all over the place at malls that I go to, and I know there are plans to extend those along the entire state as the years progress. I mean, so that's that's an, something you don't consider when you're thinking about an electric car, and it certainly is helpful. But I, it's also, that's much less important than in the m- more remote places where there's just bigger distances yeah. and you're driving more. Like, that's where these kind of networks really would benefit. And having supercharged or some type of fast charger, for even free charging between those, um, is that's the thing that's going to move, you know, replace those gas stations with, with electric chargers. That That's a big business opportunity for a company like Tesla, which owns solar companies so what's the etiquette i've pulled into a charger before and it i pulled into the fast charger spot okay and someone who's parked in the slow charger spot was using the fast charger. that is not cool it's not cool that's not cool i've i've also pulled into the fast charger spot when the adjacent non-charging spot had stretched the fast charger over (gasps) and used it there oh no no (laughs) not cool am i allowed to unplug these people yes Yes, you're the only one in the fast charger spot who could you who's technically allowed to use that fast charger. But is it cool to do that, or should I leave my charge port open and expect them to plug me in? They won't when do they're it. Done? They won't do it. Why not? Because there's no way they'll, they'll do that. No way they'll do that. You should leave a note. You, I don't have a pen and paper. Uh, you live <laughs> in the digital world. Exactly. That's take, what take, they need. Take a photo and tweet it. Airplay for that, where you can angry drop notes to yeah. other cars. A dashboard. I will say. Like, there's two types of, of charge ports that aren't Tesla. I don't even know what they're called. But the my Bolt has one, and the Leaf has the other. Mm-hmm. The Leaf was in the adjacent spot, the non-charging spot, using the fast charger. I left him plugged in, and I plugged mine in. And the machine said, as soon as the Leaf is done charging, I will begin charging. And it worked out. Okay. So the system, the system worked. You can't yes. use that Leaf charger. Right. So in your fast charging... You got your fast charging regardless. It all worked out. It all worked out. But that's still bad etiquette. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. There's a lot of smug going on with those Leaf drivers. (laughs) (laughs) The Verge uh, published an interesting article today about a research project done at MIT. I don't know if you guys had a chance to read this because it just came out today. 
but it's interesting. Have you ever heard of the trolley problem? Yes, yes of course. Of course. Okay, the trolley. It's in The Good Place. Please, is, is it? It's, a, yeah. it's an episode of The Good Place called The Trolley Problem. Explain the trolley problem for our friends at home. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a dilemma uh, in, uh, about uh, who do you save um, if you're on a trolley heading toward a group of people. It's yeah, about, it's it's a decision. It's, it's a decision making thing of like, uh, how do you value one life over the other? Yeah, it's a philosophical decision. It's usually framed as, if you, the trolley you uh, trolleys run away, if you uh, let it go on its current path, it's going to kill uh, one person. If you turn it, um, it's going to kill uh, four others. I think it's the other way around. Or yeah, it's whatever. I think, I think it's important that it's yeah. the other way around because yeah. you you have the power to. On its current course, it would kill five people. Five. Mm-hmm. If you switch tracks, it will kill, kill one, one person. person. So do you take action? Because it's your taking action that controls mm-hmm. the fate of these people. Um, well, that's you know it's hard to answer that question, obviously. Uh, but this research project has asked people from all over the world, 233 countries, millions of people have been interviewed to find out how they value different lives. And their intent is to show car manufacturers what they need to be thinking about when they program their autopilots and self-driving computers do you have and to, how those test? computers should be valuing life right when you when you when you buy your self-driving car is this like a survey thing that like when you turn on the car choose your trolley problem <laughs> answer <laughs> with a visualization you tap the screen <laughs> tap the right side to save to take action tap the left side well you as a user have now made that choice exactly um i mean this is my whole problem with with this entire scenario, by the way, is that we have private companies mm-hmm. making their own decision, like are are deciding the ethics themselves, and so their processes are going to be different and inconsistent. Well, one country, according to this article, actually has there's only one country has published its own official stance on this, and it is that it should value all life equally, regardless of age. And race and gender and all this, all these other factors, uh, and whether or not that actually is in line with the people—that's Germany, by the way. Whether or not that's in line with the people's opinion is so. Prob- it, it, it's probably not because, according to this research, people widely value young people over the elderly. Mm-hmm. Um, in Europe, they val- and in North America, they value famous people more than non-famous oh people. God, thank goodness. Every. every <laughs> Are you putting yourself in that famous category? <laughs> no, it's all relative. It's all relative. Everybody seems to value people more than animals. Okay. Um, but that's not true from country to country. There's always like these weird things. And I love my dog very much. Um, but what I didn't see considered anywhere in this article is when is the life of the driver the least important? Meaning like what's a scenario where that is? If there's a... A uh, you know a trolley scenario where the car is going to hit one person or like a child or a group of people, or it can drive off a cliff. Mm-hmm. Should it drive off a cliff? And that isn't mentioned anywhere. Yeah, I mean, isn't the assumption the driver in that stance, assuming they are not in the wrong, their value, their life is valued the most? So I heard somebody, I interviewed somebody for my science podcast that was talking about algorithms in in this context. And I think we oftentimes compare it to the absolute, uh, uh, like in the context of the trolley problem, where it's like, well, how do we make this decision to save the most lives or whatever your your Mm -hmm. sort of thinking is? 
But that's not actually what's happening. We should be comparing this situation to what would happen if a human driver was making this decision versus the computer driver. Mm -hmm. And the human driver in a lot of these scenarios is going to make either a random choice, uh, a choice that potentially hurts more people, um, it, and could res still result in the in the choice that ends up killing the driver itself. Because if you're in that situation as a human driver where it's like, I'm going to hit the four people or the one people or I drive off the cliff, yeah. you might make that split-second decision where you swerve and you end up driving off the cliff anyways. Well, that and that's the point is that once if you, you are in a terrible accident and you end up in court and there's filings, Whatever you did was a split-second instinctive decision. You you yeah. didn't think through anything. Whereas this, what we're talking about, is ha the car manufacturers premeditating and establishing algorithms that yeah. lead to certain outcomes. But, what, lots but of I waiver signs, lots but I of think, waivers. I think that's our – but though, if we compare it to what would happen if the human was driving where there's going to be loss of life anyways, mm -hmm. now we get to make some potential decisions. Yeah. Uh, around this that leads to loss of life that is much more predictable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's all. Intense question. I'm with you, dude. And I think that that's, that's powerful stuff. And that is the kind of decisions that have to be made. But it's not ones that we as a race are used to making. And it's very difficult to rationalize them. Mm hmm. Hmm. Heady I, stuff. Heady I, stuff to end uh, this technology section. I, I will just say, I think the biggest question isn't so much the decision we come to as a society, but how that gets integrated into each of these private companies' process for these algorithms being developed. They will do whatever it takes to put them at least liability, yeah. and, and, and that's they will operate on a business sense, is, is my guess. Yeah. Uh, before we move on to our next segment, I want to thank the sponsor that makes this episode possible, and that's MailChimp. MailChimp is an easy-to-use marketing platform with a name that might make it sound like they only do email, but they do just about everything to help businesses grow with email ads, postcards, landing pages, audience management tools, automations reports, and more. You'll know you're doing marketing right. Growth looks different to everyone. So MailChimp helps you guide you to make the right marketing decisions for your business. You can create a customer list, connect an online store, test an email variation, or analyze a marketing report. And MailChimp understands business owners would rather focus on their passion rather than focus on marketing. So they automated the marketing process to make it easier for you to get back to doing what you love. They started by just doing email marketing, but now they do so much more. You could say that they outgrew their name. And now their marketing tools can help you do the same. Go to MailChimp.com and sign up for free to see how MailChimp can help grow your business. MailChimp, they do more than email. I'm a pinball nerd. Pin, 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 pin. Just to my point. Finally, pinball. That makes me very happy. Stern Pinball is known for releasing um, superhero pinball games, and they're known for releasing rock band pinball games. There is one rock band who has always been on the horizon. When, if, why haven't they? Where is that game? Can you imagine what rock band that might be? Uh, Led Zeppelin. Yes, it is Led Zeppelin. However, that is not. That's ab <laughs> absolutely true. But the other one that they actually announced is The Beatles. 
we have a Beatles pinball game coming. Who knows when? Based on which era of the Beatles? All well, era? I mean, the, the the entire Beatles era is only like six years, right? It's, right, but which which like which? I guess. Are you talking Abbey Road? Album, yeah. Right <laughs> album? What are we? Yeah. What are we yeah. out here? Um, I'm thinking it's I. Who knows? Because there's only one trailer that's been released, but uh, it is it it feels like earlier. Like pre Sergeant Peppers to me, like okay. that that kind of vibe. Okay, Yellow Submarine. Uh, you know, just like love songs. Uh, Got you know, it. Like uh, radio radio hits, but I, I I can't say because no one has any details yet. But the but the point is, it is a Beatles game. No price has been announced yet. The art is shown. They will only be making one thousand nine hundred and sixty four of them. Is that a lot or not a lot? Well, it's. Who knows? I, they don't release sales figures for or numbers for their games, but I think two thousand would be, they'd be happy with two thousand sales of anything. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's probably they're fine with that, uh, but it also means it truly is limited. They haven't done a truly limited game that I can remember. So it's gonna be it's gonna mean something. Like if you own one, you know there's only that many of them, and the the people expect the price to be to reflect that. Uh, which means probably over five thousand dollars. Wow! For a game that is a reskinned <gasps> Sea Witch. Oh no! I didn't realize it was reskinned. Which is a, a a Stern game as well from the old Stern pinball from nineteen eighty. Mm. So it's been, gosh, almost forty years since uh, since that game, and it's basically the exa- the same playfield with a few additions. It has a two ball, multi ball. There's some targets behind some drops and that kind of thing. Does it have a full LCD display? I don't think so. I don't think I could be mistaken what? about that. Actually, I, I don't remember seeing that in the trailer. No video. Isn't that like standard for Stern? I would kind of hope it doesn't, just because it's not from that era. Like the games from the '60s didn't have any kind of display like that. It was wow. all EM. Really back then. banking on the music then. Yeah. So obviously it has you know the Beatles music and it's day glow colors and it looks like that era has a spinner in the center. It looks like with a magnet on it. The spinner is a... Um, it's a record. Record, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, is that, what is that media called? And it's, you know, it's got an upper flipper, just like Sea Witch, where you hit that loop, and it's fun. It's got a couple spinners. Um, and so we finally have our Beatles game. Whether it's any good, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. I like spinners, though, so we'll see. People do love spinners. Um, so, yeah, uh, if you're a Beatles fan and you don't really care about... You know, is the pinball going to be the next big thing? But you kind of like pinball. I think this might interest you. And if you see one on location, know that there's only about 2,000 of those things in existence. Now it's time for a moment of science. So last week I talked about the failed Soyuz launch. Actually, I think I might have talked about it two weeks ago. Um, but more details have come out. There's this really riveting video um, where NASA Administrator Jim Bridenstine actually interviews uh, the U.S. astronaut that was on board, uh, Nick Haig, about the experience. And we heard uh, – we have transcripts of the audio from Russian ground control up to uh, the Soyuz capsule. So we know what he was saying. And just remember this for a second. All of the communication that's happening on board between the cosmonaut and the American astronaut is in Russian. So all of our astronauts are trained to speak in Russian um, during this entire thing. So 
everything was translated. And uh, Nick is the one that talked to, that actually said that we're pulling 6.7 G's. And he talks in this video about the experience of, of A, going weightless and seeing like a piece of debris uh, kind of coming across uh, the capsule. So they knew, uh, you know, at this point, like they're, they're in for something big coming in the next few seconds because they know they're about to start following. And how he used his training uh, about like kind of his core strength and breathing techniques to withstand that G-load. And that G-load, they didn't actually end up passing out because the G-load didn't uh, stay for that long. And they had actually trained up to about 10 to 12 Gs, um, withstanding that for a few seconds. And he talks about the process of falling and all of the the different sort of uh, solutions that they went in place. There were actual decisions that they were making on board, uh, the craft that they had to communicate and execute. We didn't actually think that at first. We thought it's all automated, all out of their control. They were just going for a ride. No, they were actually doing stuff on board, which makes the story even crazier. Jeez. Like, you're basically in a rocket that's malfunctioned. You're falling back to Earth, and they're executing commands. Um, and they talk about landing, and they end up being upside down in the capsule once they land. And they're in, uh, immediately what happens is they launch a plane uh, as spotters, and they are skydiving from the plane once they see the location uh, as a group of people to actually rapid response to where the capsule the lane. Skydivers or the rapid responders? Wait, yeah, skydiving. Like, you mean like scuba divers would be for somebody who's yeah. underwater? Oh and they God. got to them within about five minutes of them hitting the earth. So they're in the capsule. Decide, he talks about this like, do I unbuckle my, my belt and kind of, you know, like fall and, you know, hit the edge of the capsule? Or do I wait the other couple minutes upside down? And he said, you know, they ended up waiting and like somebody came and knocked on their window. Wow. Um, so it's incredible tale. All that leads into the next story, which is basically we had talked about December was the next launch window for a Soyuz to get to the space station because we still have three people aboard the ISS. Uh, Jim Bridenstine said that we're going to go with that launch window. We're not going to push it back. And initial sort of anonymous sources have come out and started to talk about what actually happened, what went wrong. So uh, at this point, the rumors are is that the rocket booster was improperly attached to the rocket core. And so when it was supposed to fall away, it actually hit the rocket core as it was falling away, led to a deceleration, a deceleration which kicked in the, the systems that automated the ejection Aboard. of the Soyuz capsule. Uh, and that Russia has launched three investigations that are slated to close by the end of the month about why this happened. But as far as I can tell, um, uh, our uh, NASA administrator's comments indicate that he's gotten some promising information from the Russian agency at this point that they're going to move forward with the December launch at this point, which is really surprising to hear. We'll wait and see. Yeah. I guess like details of the report will be out probably in about a week and uh, we'll know more then. But I think this is all good news. Watch that video. It is. It's just incredible. By the way, when I say it's riveting, it's not riveting in terms of emotion. It's very flat. He's like they're just kind of having a ho-hum conversation like we do on this podcast. But they're talking about some of the most insane things ever. Um, basically free fall from the edge of space. Are, are they bringing more people up or just bringing people home? It, 
they're bringing two it'll be two new astronauts going up okay uh one astronaut one cosmonaut and what was funny about the the nick haig interview is he's is at the end he's like you know i hope you send me on another mission back up to space because and that's very astronaut like he kind of got robbed for from going to space explorers man yeah. Uh, another update. A couple months ago, I talked about this, uh, the National Museum in Rio de Janeiro burning to the ground. Yep. And uh, there are systems not in place to, to stop the fire. Well, we have an update on the recovery process that's going on. So one of the most famous treasure, there's two kind of uh, really um, prized uh, items in that museum. There, I mean, there's thousands of things that are priceless that can't be replaced. But one of them is the skull of Luzia, which is one of our oldest human uh, remains. It's about 12,000 years old. Uh, That is like very early human. Uh, It was discovered in 1975. They're able to retrieve it from a metal cabinet that it was stored in with limited damage. So they did recover that. All right. The other is that there is a meteorite called Angra dos Reis, which dates back four and a half billion years. What? <laughs> Wait a minute. Isn't that the, li- the life of our planet? No, but the meteorite is older uh, uh, oh. than the, the Earth. Well, it's about the same age as the Earth itself. And uh, they were able to uh, recover that also from a metal cabinet. Wow. And uh, it's okay. So this gives a lot of hope that they're able, because a lot of these items were stored in, in metal containers, that they're able to recover Were they on more. display in, in metal containers? Or they had just been stored? No, no. These were in collections areas, and oh, they were great. in the storage cabinets. Good. So this gives a lot of hope that they'll be able to recover more than they thought. I'm sure there's still stuff that, that has been lost um, forever. But at least this gives us a sense of hope. Uh, and the last story, I think I've actually talked about this before, too, mm. but we'll see if you remember. What's What do you think the largest organism in the world is? Is it uh, the roots of a tree? Uh, the skin of the blue whale. Uh, Norm wins. There is a, a set of aspen trees called the pando trees. I haven't read the story. That uh, are the largest organism by weight. Uh, it's about six football fields in size. And even though there's individual trees that come up, these aspen trees... When you genetically test them, they have the exact same DNA, and they share this underground root system. Now, I know for those listeners that are out there, there is a larger organism by area that exists. It's the honey mushroom that's on the upper peninsula of Michigan, which is about the size of the Mall of America. What? um, But putting that aside, the aspen uh, grove in Utah has been shrinking, and scientists have been trying to understand why, and they've looked at satellite photographs. And they figured it out, and it's the most mundane thing ever. There's a bunch of deer just eating the trees. Aww. And so they tested out, what, oh. if, we, what if we stop letting the deer eat the trees? Mm-hmm. What will happen? Mm-hmm. And the forest regrew. <laughs> it is like the most like simple solution. So they are now cordoning off this area around the edge of this forest uh, from, these, um, from these deer and... The largest organism in the world is recovering. Well, you got to be careful with that stuff, though, man, because they, they, they used to keep the trees from burning in Yosemite, and then that was a problem, and the Native Americans had always let them burn, and yeah. they had fresher soil and regrowth. Yeah, I believe these deer are not native to the area, oh. and that's why the pruning was leading to oh. some fight back. Those migrants. Migrants. <laughs> <laughs> 
The VR Minute. Virtual reality this week. This will be a short week, right? Nothing big happened in <laughs> VR. You know, this was our other contender for top story this week, but we're going to save it for the VR Minute. Uh, big shakeup. Big? We don't know, actually, how big the shape of could well, be. There was a big moment for the internet. Yes. That's for uh, sure. So uh, Brendan Reeb, who is one of the co-founders of Oculus, uh, who was one who brought along the team that kind of turned Oculus from a garage startup into a company mm-hmm. uh, with Palmer Lucky um, and uh, other, uh, other leadership. Uh, original CEO. Yeah, right? yeah. He was original CEO. And, and one kind of got a orchestrated the sale to Facebook has, uh, has left the company. Now, he was not CEO for uh, in the past couple of years. Right. He uh, uh, was head of the PC arm of Oculus, uh, PC VR. So uh, speculation was that he was running the Rift 2 development, although that's still speculation, whatever his actual title there was he. Uh, but he posted a Facebook message indicating he'd left the company. On sounded, good, on good on, terms? Sounded like on good terms. Yeah. Optimistic for the next thing, but the report reporting this on TechCrunch also indicated that the Rift Two was canceled, and that was the reason for this departure. Now, that of course would be a very big deal, and a lot of speculation on the internet side as to what actually means. Facebook has since come out to say not explicitly that the Rift Two isn't canceled. When Rift Two is something that people at Oculus we've talked to it hasn't been announced it hadn't been announced but they've kind of mentioned it in the as much of those terms right calling it Rift 2 uh, even as recently as on stage at Oculus Connect 5 Mark Zuckerberg talked about the three arms of Oculus the PC side with Rift and being the first generation mm-hmm. you know the Quest and Go and all three of those we presume uh, would go forward and the, the two honestly the ones that we thought would be merged would be Go and Quest going forward the mobile VR as you see PC VR and mobile VR and even most of uh, most of Michael Abrash's talk was about PC based VR tethered VR going forward well he runs the re- research lab where they're doing right. a bunch of cutting edge technology that really you could, you can could only imagine currently in a PC headset. Exactly. So whatever you know, I, I don't think TechCrunch would have published something without some some knowledge um, to back it up. But whether or not that was actually Rift Two as a product, or if we're talking about just changing timetables, changing feature sets, we don't know. That's still as yet unknown. Uh, Facebook has only come out to say that they are still pursuing development on the PC side, and the stuff that Brendan was working on will make its way into a future product. And this isn't a larger, like, exodus. Um, like John Carmack said, he's staying through uh, Quest, and other folks have said, that, like, they're not leaving the organization. So yeah, before Carmack, we let that go. Carmack said he plans to stay beyond Quest. Yeah. He's in it for the long term, thank goodness. Yep, yep. And, and Nate Mitchell is still there. Yep. The only founder who really remains there now. Uh, part of the original team. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, would you count Carmack in that? No. No? Even though he did the early He didn't, early he didn't come on until Facebook came on. Right, but in terms of having contributed to the original vision, working with those those people, there's no one I think who is more important to like the research. Well, maybe Abrash, but really, no, I don't think he's a part of the original team. Yeah, yeah, uh, and the idea was that we're still hoping for some announcements next year, right? Like if Quest comes out early next year, Q1, then hopefully by OC6, we would hope to see glimpses and first hands-ons uh, with a Rift Two even if that wasn't going to come out till you know, 2020. So let's just 
speculate for a moment, or not even speculate, let's just hypothesize. What if they did cancel Rift 2? Wouldn't that make good business decision? What? I think there's something there. Because I think like this adoption, if we're talking about broad adoption, building the user base for VR, I'm not sure a high-end PC solution is the easiest way to go about that versus something like the Quest. I, I would say that it's definitely... It would. I could understand it from a business decision, whether it's good or not for the VR business is something something else. Yes. VR industry. Yes. But from a business decision, they also spend a lot of money on the uh, Oculus Studio content, all of which is vast majority of which money wise is on the PC side. That's also where all the attention is. You're not going to get the same type of enthusiasm, or what attention? Like the the media attention. We care about. Echo Arena. Mm-hmm. We care about Lone Echo 2. We care about Stormland. That's all Rift. That's all PC side. I think that's all sixed off. And eventually, we're going to see a lot of that come down to Quest. And future generations of Quest will be powerful enough to run most of it. So you're saying the, uh, the, the smart business decision is to take that Oculus Studio's resource and perhaps focus it. If they were to focus all just development and marketing on Quest, yeah. it being sixed off, uh, that is just that's better for potentially VR as a whole. No, 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 absolutely not. No, I want Rift Two more than anybody. But I'm saying wouldn't it make good business because right. for me, like Facebook has invested three billion dollars in this. Then they had to pay more because of the lawsuit. They're selling these pieces of hardware at cost, and it's like where's the return? Like they have to narrow their vision at some point, and it seems like. A lot of people are very excited about Quest, saying it's the best of both worlds. If it's time to make any kind of cutback and hard decision, that's the one I would make. Let me give you another hypothesis. Um, what if you had a Rift 2 that was going to be on the very high end of like pushing the boundaries of what uh, current graphics cards can do, current PC setups, so that it is a very high-end VR system that requires a high-end PC. What if we pulled that back to like a Rift 1.5 that used much more available hardware, um, was a medium ground between where the Rift is now and where the technology could allow it to go? I bring this up because it would it would kind of indicate that Oh, if that super high-end thing, and that's what Brendan was actually working on. We don't know. Got, yeah, I know. Like, this is a, there's a lot of speculation in this. But if that's what got canceled or got shelved or changed or pushed off, I could imagine Brendan leaving under those conditions. Yeah, me too. I can also imagine him leaving because time time was up and, and his sure. role was diminished. And, you know, he did his job, which was to run the company like a company and get it bought by a bigger company to... Totally to move the industry forward, but this idea of bringing down what how uh, edge pushing Rift Two is as a business decision is, I could also see that being a reasonable course. Put it in the same analogy as uh, the car stuff. So, you know, the the Quest is their Model Three, and they're not making the Roadster. Okay. <laughs> right, the prestige product, uh-huh. and the thing that, or maybe even it's a high-end Model S. Yeah. Right, like that, they're still going to make the thing because there is a market for it, and that's the thing that's going to get enthusiasts and hopefully get gamers over to the platform because that's how you get how that's how you have market penetration on the on the computing side, right? You want gamers interested, and you want people who are like on the Tesla. You want Tesla side. You want people who are in a cars interested because then you own the bigger picture, which is computing. 
Uh, but we don't know what they've discovered about the cost of manufacturing some of the inventions that Abrash has come up with. That's and, scary. And his team. I mean, but th but then you got to put that investment in because that benefits theoretically the mobile side in the future. Like, Potentially, yes, yeah, absolutely, right? absolutely. You, maybe the smart thing to do on the business side is to one streamline the software. Like the big thing is right now, like the not you know ones on an arm arm side, arm Android side, and ones on the PC side, right? You need to make sure developers can develop. For both at the same time, easily, uh, and that's not an easy task. But maybe that's that's the thing that needs rethinking. But the thing is, we do have some information because we know that a Rift Two has to have a higher end display than the Rift One, and we know a lot about where display technology is going just based on the phone market, and that is not coming down yeah, in price. They said as much on their their keynotes. They can't rely on the phone stuff. It's all custom bespoke hardware yeah. now, and they have to generate their own economies of scale. And the way to do that is someone's got to put their foot in. Someone's got to foot the bill. Yeah. Uh, so we still hold out hopes for, hold Rift, out. for Rift 2. Totally. I, I, just, I wonder if we should temper our expectations about what Rift 2 whether is. it will be that half-dome prototype or a scaled-back version of it. Oh, I really hope it's not a scaled-back version of it. It's reasonable to expect that, though. It, Especially at the, if they want to maintain the price point. Keep keep an eye on Michael Abrash's LinkedIn, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> or at least his network. Yeah, yeah. Well, I do. I, it's. I think it's important to say like this, like monitoring of where these executives go. I think is overdone, and it's partially because of the Instagram founders leaving Facebook too. That this is a bigger story than it might be, because it's pretty typical when a company gets acquired for people from that leadership to leave. So, like you said. Brendan leaving isn't necessarily that big of a deal. You know, the smarter business decision is something they also did and went a little under the radar, which is to end uh, movie rentals and, and, and purchases natively on their platform. Um, it, was, it made a lot of sense as a business to, to pursue if you're building media platform uh, hardware to also own the, the store. But uh, clearly people weren't really invested in it and people were sideloading well this is no 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 this, this is actually only rift only on rift yeah they're actually continuing the movie store purchases and rentals on go and so that actually does not bode well for Samsung. the rift team oh well i mean i just think they were closing right doors like, and closing Car doors carmack said that 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 the rift platform was 80 20 in favor of games whereas the portables were the were flipped or media yeah so maybe people, this is a metric thing I think the problem was they should have only been marketing 3, uh, 3D movies. Yeah. yeah. Because VR is in many ways the best way to view them. Yeah. But um, no, the, the, you could barely find the 3D films. You really have to search through all their catalog in order to find them. Yeah. I mean, well, 3D films are less sold from the home market anyway. So the, you know, the, the home video departments of those studios are not releasing as much. They're focusing more energies on 4K and HDR and Dolby yeah. Atmos. Uh, last bit of hardware news that we'll talk about. Last bit of news we'll talk about on the podcast this week. Uh, Samsung has quietly announced and is shipping a new headset for Windows Mixed Reality, uh, the Samsung Odyssey Plus. They already had the flagship Windows Mixed Reality headset. Mm -hmm. $500 was the most expensive, but it had the built-in uh, headphones and had the best resolution and had the uh, nice 
uh, OLED display. Um, now, their new one, which has same resolution, 1440 by 1600 per eye, they're calling has a new filter, a uh, new anti-screen door effect, anti-SDE Wait a minute. What do you filter. Mean? What kind of filter? What is that, like a software filter? or what do you Not mean? exactly sure. So the, the claim is that, uh, I'll read this verbatim for Samsung's quote, is that their anti-SDE AMOLED display mm-hmm. solves SDE by applying a grid that diffuses light coming from each pixel. Ew, I'm not sure I like and that. And replicating the picture to round the areas of its pixels, making the pixels bigger to over to compensate for the spaces in between. But so are they perfect? Are they no longer perfectly square? They are perfectly square. Okay. Now, this makes the spaces between the pixels impossible to see. Again, their quote. Yeah. So, in result, your eyes perceive the diffused light with a per- this is the part I don't like. Their perceived PPI of 12 1,233 perceived PPI. That, that is Wait a, a minute. bullshit why, why would it change the PPI? This is a, per, again, their perceived PPI. It, should, it would. You're right. This is a, it, it makes no sense. Uh, double, it's basically they're saying it doubles the, the perceived pixel density. Now, uh, apparently PSVR uses something similar already. Okay. And one of the reasons that PSVR, while not having the highest resolution display, uh, has in fact it, it has the lowest has the lowest but ha- looks like it has a really really good um, pixel fill and very minimal screen effect. I like every time I use PSVR I like how little screen door I see um, it's because it uses something like this so if you can apply that same effect to a relatively high resolution display at the 1440 by 1600 uh, that could be really effective I really want to try this headset I've, we've reached out to Samsung to see if they will let us try it but uh, it's also uh, available in the Samsung store right now. Same price, 500 bucks, um, And, of course, Windows Mixed Reality, so you're using those controllers. If it was in the Amazon Go store, I'd, I'd say let's go. <laughs> you go? Walk in, walk out? Yeah, see if they actually picked it up? Try it. Yeah. No no tri- trials in the Amazon Go store. You, you, you know, they're, they're tracking the packages. What is a trial in the Amazon Go store? Opening. Why don't you try out this soda? See if you like it. You know, then you, you go to the store, it. you open the box, and you like you see what's inside. You close the box. What? Are you talking about? Where people? do you do that? <laughs> Are you talking about people handing out cookies and like little no toothpicks with food on it? No, sometimes you go to a store and you kind of open the box, make sure everything's in the box, and then you, you know this box. is food, right? It's all food. It's it, only food. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, it go. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Only granola You like balls. take a bite out of, mm, out this, of this, this granola bowl. Yeah, not yeah, for me. Yeah, this avocado, not not super ripe. I'm putting it back. Yeah. I'm really worried about our upcoming visit to this now. I want to do it. <sighs> Jeremy's not interested. That's so did that let us Let us know no. what you want Norm, from the Amazon Go store. It's time to wish you good luck. And revisit our over-under bet from the beginning of the show. Let me check my text messages. Mm-hmm. Just the one? And I think I only got the one. Wow. Uh, you win. Yeah. We both went over. Yeah. Here's well, the animation. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's pretty great. Uh, Good best of luck. To Danica as well. I yeah. Think she'll Healthy, happy, everyone. Thank you. Uh, You're going to love it. It didn't happen during the podcast? You know, there's a chance it might not happen before next podcast, but I'm not going to be here next week. Okay. Next week, uh, we'll have some special guests. Won't say who. Keep that card charged up. Yes. Yes. Every night. Yeah. Um, that does it for this week's episode. Thank you all for listening. Do we have an outro? We do. This one's from Al Future. Hi there. I didn't see you. That's it. 
uh, Microsoft has announced a new massively dense version of courses all hidden in elevators. Oh, let's, let's go. What was that? It's quite a Frankensteining. Do you recognize that? No. Oh, wow. No. You no idea what was going on. It goes in, everything goes in a recycle bin right after the podcast. <laughs> I don't empty the recycle bin, but it's there. <laughs>